Hi, you're about to listen to the ICGC Worldwide Podcast. Our mission is to raise global leaders, shape vision, and influence society with the principles of Christ. For more information or empowering content, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ICGC Worldwide. And now, for today's message. Continuing the message I started last week, the series I started, I titled it In the Corridors of Power. And this is part two of In the Corridors of Power. My subtitle is To Be or Not to Be. In the Corridors of Power to be or not to be. Most of you can identify the subtitle to be or not to be from Shakespeare's play Hamlet. This is in act three of Hamlet. It is called Hamlet's soliloquy. And this is when Hamlet uh, is torn between whether to commit suicide or to wait for the love of his life, Ophelia, whether to avenge his father's death or not to avenge his father's death. He's in a moment of indecision, hesitation, not knowing what to do about it. And in the first phrases he says, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles. Many times Christians like Hamlet stand in a place and we're not really sure. Should we rise up and make a difference or should we just sit and pray about the situation confronting us? Should we step into the corridors of power Or should we just stay in our place and watch the powerful lead us astray? Should I get involved in what is happening in the world? Or should I just mind my own business? To be or not to be, that is the question. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Last week I said, I talked about pillars and the pillars of society, and I said that pillars are part of a foundational system because they are hooked directly to the foundation. What do we do when people start moving the foundations and pillars of our society in an ungodly way? What do we do when evil people rise to lead our world? What do we do when God's truth is replaced with man's error. Many times, the righteous look on and do nothing. 
and the pillars of our world are moved. People tamper with the family structure. People tamper with education. They tamper with science. They tamper with the media. They tamper with business. They tamper with culture. They tamper with government. The foundations are destroyed by the righteous are still asking to be or not to be. What should we do? Should we get involved? Should we say something? Should we do something about it? Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 5 to 7 addresses that. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 5 to 7. And it's a very poignant, powerful statement of the distortions that can go on when we allow them to go on. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, and as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. It's, even, it's very interesting that many people who step into the corridors of power are not fit to walk in those corridors. People who influence our world mostly are people who have no business influencing anything because they are not good examples themselves. Many of those who determine how we live our lives have been failures in their own lives. But the Bible says that there is a condition that sometimes allows this to happen. It's what I call the eros of leadership. There is an error that proceeds from the ruler and evil that I have seen under the sun. When the writer says under the sun, he means on the earth. And what are these errors? It is an error when foolishness is dignified and skill is devalued. He says folly is set in great dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. The rich in this passage is not just those who have money, but it's talking about those who through skill have accomplished much in their lives. They are rich because they are achievers. And the, and the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I've observed in human life that folly is set in dignity while the rich sit in a lowly place. Foolishness is dignified and skill is devalued. Then he talks about another error. He says, I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants when the non-achiever leads and instructs the achiever. It's an error of leadership. A prince in this passage is one who has risen by virtue of personal accomplishment. 
It is an error in leadership when the non-achiever leads and instructs the achiever. It is an error when the righteous step back and the wicked step forward. The reason folly is set in dignity is because the righteous allow it to be so. Those who know what is right back off from the corridors of power because of the risks and the dangers. We cannot talk about influence and not step into influence. The challenge of our world all over the world, probably more at the global level, is that we have people determining the policies of the world who themselves cannot manage their own lives. People who cannot manage their own lives trying to tell the world how to manage itself. I don't know whether it's ever happened to you when sometimes you've heard about people who are supposed to be very important and significant and powerful and you've heard about their name and they seem to be so great. You enter into a meeting with them, listen to them and wonder, is that all? You sat in meetings where major decisions are being made and you look at the input that goes into the decision and the people it will impact and you say, is that all? This is how decisions are made? I remember reading the autobiography of a very uh, a young man who had worked with a presidential candidate in the United States and uh, he talked about when they won the election, and I'm not going to talk about which president it was, but he says when they won the election and uh, on the day of the inauguration, you know, they were, that's when the president uh, has had his inauguration. They have what they call the inauguration ball, inaugural balls, and so they have parties all over, and these are when all the heavyweights gather, the big senators and the people who really run their country in America. And he said he, was, he just stood there and listened to the conversations of, of all the people, and he wondered, is that it? Is the, is the, are these the people who run the world? He couldn't believe that the people whom he thinks think so deeply about the problems of their lives and make all these policies in the Senate, in the Congress, he thinks all these great ideas are coming through. He listens to them and wonders, is that it? Because many times folly is set in dignity and wisdom in the low places. It will not be so in our lives. It is time for people who have what it takes to rise into the corridors of power. To play our role as God wants us to, we must understand the world system. The world system. Many of us are in the world, but we don't even understand how the world functions. Our preoccupation is survival. I need food to eat. I need transport to go to work. 
I need to pay fees for my children. I need to pay my electric bill. I need to get water. And, and so we go on every day just thinking about day-to-day -day survival, but somebody has already budgeted for your life for the future and determining how you should live the rest of your life. We have to understand the world system. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. It is the temptation of Jesus. And I want us to pay some little attention to the content of what uh, Luke reports as the second temptation. The content of the temptation. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 to 8. Then the devil, he's always there. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Very interesting temptation. In this temptation, the devil showed Jesus three spheres, three areas that he says has been delivered to him. And that he could give those three areas to anybody. That's a very interesting statement. It says, whomever I wish. So it means that there are people who are holding power, who have no business holding that power because somebody determined that he wished them to have it. And that somebody is this guy, the devil. So in this temptation, we see the three components of the world system. First, the Bible says he showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world or what we call domains or dominions, the kingdoms of the world. That word kingdom refers to geographical territories and the people who live there. Geographical territories and the people who live there. Now, in the days of Jesus, there were no democracies, as we understand them. So, uh, we didn't have nations in the sense that we have them now. So, what you had were kingdoms, kings and their domains. Kings and their domains. The word kingdom comes from king and domain. Kingdom. So... He showed them the geographical areas, the inhabited areas. I'm sure he saw uh, the people who were in this part, Fantis. I don't know whether the Fantis had come at that time. Or the Ashantis and the Gars and the Eves. Wherever they were, he saw the kingdoms. 
He saw the kingdoms in India. He saw the kingdoms in China, kingdoms in, in, in Europe, and kingdoms in Asia, and so on. He saw the kingdoms of the world. That's the first sphere that the devil showed Jesus. Domains, nations, territories. Domains could also mean a field under one's control. So we can say, for example, that there are people who have dominion over education, over culture, over science, over business, over media, over government. It is their domain. It's the place where they occupy. So that's the first sphere. Dominions, domains, kingdoms. The world is gathered in spheres of dominion. The second thing uh, that Satan showed Jesus, which expresses the component of the world system, is rulership. Rulership is the authority of the world. He says, all this authority I will give you. Not just the kingdom, but the authority of the kingdom. Authority refers to the power to rule that dominion. If you have a dominion, you have no authority, you have nothing. You have dominion, you must have the authority. Rulership allows you to bring things under your influence. So, in the world system, there are domains or dominion, places that people have determined they will control, and rulership, the authorities who control the domains. And then the third thing he showed him was the privileges. The privileges. The glories of the world. All this authority I'll give you and the glory. Glory refers to the beauty, magnificence, and the treasures of the kingdom. If you don't have the dominion and you don't have rulership, you would not have the privilege. You would not have the, the glories. Now many of us uh, spend much of our lives watching the glory of those who have the dominion and the rulership. We watch them on TV. We read about them. Uh, there, there, there is a program uh, on the on television in the United States called, called The Lifestyle of the Rich and the Famous. The Lifestyle of the... So you watch all these powerful people and you watch their homes and you watch their cars and you watch their yacht they drive in. Uh, they, they don't drive in. They pilot in in their waterways. You watch their ocean liners, their ships. You watch their private planes, which looks far, 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 far better than anything you ever sleep in. And you watch and say, wow. Some of us actually tear those pages and go and hide it in our rooms. So, and, and, and we admire them. But you are just admiring those who have the dominion, the authority, are, and are enjoying the privilege. You are like the spectators in Samson's court. When the pillar is being moved, you are just sitting down, cheering, but you have no idea you are being moved to destruction. We refuse to be spectators. Somebody say, I refuse to be a spectator. We will have to step into 
the corridors of power. Because when you get there, then you have the dominion, you have the authority, and you have the glory. Don't leave that. Don't just read about people's lives and admire them from afar. Don't just read about uh, Steve Jobs and read about Bill Gates and read about uh, uh, Beyonce and read about Jay-Z wearing all his metals. You have no metal. You have only wood and china all around you. You have to have the dominion. You have to have the authority and you have to have the glory. So Satan shows Jesus all of these. He says, this is the world system. This is the world. This is the world you live in. Now remember, Jesus did not say that the kingdom's authority and godly were false or they were not good. He only said he would not get it the way Satan suggested. But he didn't deny that there were dominions and there were authorities and there were glories. He just said, I'm not going to get it your way. There is dominion, there is authority, there is glory. Majority of the world will live and die and never have any of these. Majority of the world. I said last week that 1% of the world holds about 46% of all the wealth. 70% of the world's population only have access to 3%. Now we are 70% dividing 3% amongst ourselves. No wonder we're always fighting. It, when they share, it doesn't reach us. No wonder there are civil wars all over Africa because 70% struggling over 2%, 3%. Except you increase your percentage, you always fight. Do you remember when you were a child? When you always, those of you who used to live in family houses, when there's only one bowl of food and there are 10 hands, 10 fingers. Ten people eating, the meat is five. The people are ten. See what happens. This is even when you have 50-50. Can you imagine when 70% is sharing 3%? When you live in a compound house and there is only, excuse me to say, one washroom, one bathroom, and the tenants are 12 the whole life of the tenants is who is sweeping, who is, who is cleaning, who goes first, who comes second, when is my turn? And, and they, they never bother about anything again because they have been constricted to a small space. That will not be your portion. It will not be your portion. It will not be your portion. You must refuse. You must refuse that. So Jesus has shown dominions. Somebody say, I will have dominion. He's shown authority. Somebody say, I will have authority. He's shown privileges. Somebody say, I will enjoy the privileges. Now, 
Satan then talks about how to have access to the kingdom, to the authority, and to the glory. How do we have access to it? There are two ways, two options available to us. Number one, worship before Satan. That is the way of the world. Satan says, if you worship me, I'll give you the dominion, the authority, and the power. Does it mean there are people who have the dominion, the, the authority, and the glory who have received it by virtue of worshiping Satan? Yes. Some of your heroes, that's how they got it. Now, this way of worshiping before Satan may be chosen either consciously or unconsciously. Worship of Satan is not the same as Satanism or dabbling in witchcraft. Yes, people do that. They, go, they dabble in witchcraft for glory and for fame and so on. But that's not all that it is. It is when we live our lives based on ungodly wisdom and principles. When the principles of the world become our foundation. And both believers and unbelievers can choose this path. The fact that it was suggested to Jesus implies that it will also be suggested to us. The son of God himself, Satan, does, he, he has no shame. Satan has no shame. I mean, this guy is very audacious. You look at the son of God. Who created the earth. And you say, I will give you all the glory if you worship me. I mean, you say that, I mean, Jesus is too big for you to even mention this temptation to, but Satan has no shame. If he offered that to Jesus, the highest, I can guarantee you, he offers it to everybody. So there are people in the domain of finance who have been offered that. There are people in the domain of education. There are people in the domain of government. There are people in the domain of media. There are people in the domain of the sciences. They are great researchers. They are great thinkers. And everybody praises them and says, Oh, this man is the brightest guy. This woman is the greatest in this authority in this area. And you wonder who gave him the dominion. Why are so many researchers undermining the will of God? But they have dominion and they have the authority and they have the privilege. If they write a book, everybody will read. You read, write a book, nobody reads. So the first option, go get it from Satan. Second option, this is what Jesus suggested. Worship the Lord your God. That is the way of Christ. Jesus is saying, I don't deny that if I bow to you, I will get it. But I'm going to get it, not from you, but from God. In other words, the dominion, the authority, uh, and, and the glory of this world is available both from Satan and from God.
So can you believe, can you imagine what happens if the people of Satan take it, but the people of God are asking to be or not to be? Should I? You know, for many years ago, Christians were even wondering, you know, is it, is it right for a Christian to make money? I would address that later. In John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31, John 14 and 30, John 16, uh, 8 to 11, Jesus addresses Satan as the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world. The challenge with Christians is we always have a conflict as to whether to be part of this world or not to be. Unbelievers do not have the difficulty in relating to the world. They are in the world, they partake of the world. Believers, on the other hand, are in two worlds, the natural world and the spiritual world. And we are not sure which one should we partake in. Should we partake in the spiritual or the natural? Should we wait for heaven or should we take the earth in the, in the meantime? So if you listen to most of the songs of Christianity in the past, we took comfort in not being part of this world, which is a truth. It's not a lie. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. Everybody's got a shoe. I've got a shoe. Everybody's got a shoe. When I get to heaven, I'm going to wear my shoe. Joy, joy, when we get to heaven. You know, so everything is postponed to heaven. And whilst we are postponing everything to heaven, there are other people who are collecting the earth. So the conflict of the Christian is to be or not to be. I mean, how, how far can I go with this? And until we deal with our conflict, we cannot really deal with our power. Until that question is settled, we cannot deal with what God wants us to do. Second Corinthians chapter 4. 6 verse 14 to 18 is one that always challenges the believer. It challenges us because it tells us to do something that sometimes we're not really able to figure out how do we really do it. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an achiever? With an unbeliever, sorry. And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, that is a very direct, clear instruction. It says, it seems to say, it seems to say, we must not be yoked. Yoked means joined together in an equal system. Be yoked 
with the world. We must not fellowship with it. We must not have communion with it. We must not have agreement with it. We must come out of it. We must separate from, from it. Now, if that is our role in the world, then how do we ever get into the corridors of power? Because if that, that is going to be our role, then the believers will pull away from everything in the world. So in the past, believers have pulled away from a lot of businesses and jobs. I talked about the television industry. When television industry started, believers just pulled away. Christians pulled away. Christians are not in the entertainment industry. Even things like chieftaincy, the Christians pulled away. They said, well, it's, it's because of all the demonic things that happens there. Well, if you, don't, if you don't find a way to engage it, it's not going to change. You can't wait for something to change before you step into it. You have to find a way to step into it and redeem it. And so we had all kinds of rules. Well, be careful about this. Be careful. So there are certain Christians that would not even have a business agreement with an unbeliever because they feel that demons from the unbeliever will not contaminate the business. I understand the logic, but can't you also turn the logic otherwise that the light will overcome the darkness? Why do you always think the darkness will overcome the light? So... There's a clear injunction about how we should be separate. Now, for us to really deal with a verse like that, we have to consider other scriptures. So, we look at the words of Jesus' prayer for us in John chapter 17, verse 14 to 18. To help us have a context on how to really engage in this world. He says... I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now, if you look at the, the two passages we read, there are three options open to the believer on how to deal with the world. The first one is separation. Stay away from the world. We stay away. And when we do this, we allow Satan to be the ruler of this world. We give him space to take over all the seven pillars of our society. Because you say, well, stay away, don't, don't get contaminated, it will, it will contaminate your spirit, you know, these are dangerous demonic areas and so on and so forth. So separation is an option and a lot of Christians exercise separation. The second one is integration. Integration is when we become one with the world. When we become one with the world, we lose our salt, we lose our light, we lose our credibility, and we're not able to represent Christ in the world. We compromise on what we know, and we just blend in. So separation and integra integration, separating from the world, becoming one with the world, both will compromise your testimony. Both will not help you to change the world. But there is a third option, and that is the option I believe Christians should take based on the prayer of Jesus. Transformation. 
You engage the world to change it. When we do this, we have become ambassadors for Christ. So we are not separating, we are not integrating, we are transforming, we are light, we are salt, we are a city set on a hill. The salt does not salt a meal by staying out of it. The light does not light a place by staying out of the darkness. The light has to go to the darkness. The salt has to go to the food to be able to have an impact on it. It is transformation. Engaging with the world to change it. And Jesus says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them. How, how did Jesus come into the world? It's very interesting when you look at Jesus' relationship with people. Jesus somehow just went to people that nobody wanted to talk to. Goes to Zacchaeus. Everybody says that this guy's a crook. He's the one Jesus hangs around with. Jesus goes to parties that nobody go, wants to go to. He doesn't go to participate in the sin. He doesn't go to integrate. He goes to transform. Because his mission was to seek and to save that which is lost. If we are going to be in the corridors of power or we're going to be effective, we don't have to separate, we don't have to integrate, we have to transform. And how do we do that? We go to the world as Jesus went to the world to seek and to save that which was lost. So if a Christian becomes a chief, you are not going there to specialize in worshiping demons, you are going there to seek and to save that which was lost. You go into business, you don't go to be a crook. You go to seek and to save that which was lost. You go to the entertainment industry, you go to seek and to save that which was lost. You go to politics, you go to seek and to save that which was lost. It is redemptive. So if a Christian decides to go into politics, they must say, I'm going to... Be a different person. I'm going to really champion the issues that bring development to my people, especially if you are in Ghana. I'm going to make things happen for people. If I am a minister of uh, an era, I really want to make a difference. If I'm a parliamentarian, I want to make a difference. I am not just going to sit on a board and ask for privileges and ask for things to be done for me. I'm going to seek how to seek and to save, to transform, to be a salt, to be a light, to be an influence. But if you're going to improve your own life, then you will go and integrate. And there are many Christians in politics who have integrated. They blended in. Outside there, they say Jesus is Lord, praying in tongues. Inside they are rotten. We cannot leave the world to the world. We have to transform the world. That's our mission. So to be or not to be, I say be. <laughs> B, can the believer 
do that? Yes. We want to see Christians as lawyers taking up the major social issues of our time and debating them. You cannot just lie, allow people to run their own agenda and we just allow them and say, well, you know this, if you go and say it, people will not understand you and they will think you are this and you are like that and you are like that. Young believers never think they will think they are this or they are that. They just go ahead and do what they have to do, even when we don't like it. Even when you don't like it. You know, you, when unbelievers are talking profanity, they don't care whether you, you like profanity or not. They just use the words by heart and look at your face. So why can't I also say praise the Lord and look at their face? Why can't I also say Jesus is Lord and look at their face? Why can't I also pray and look at their face? Why, why do I have to feel nervous? We cannot hide our Christianity, folks. We have to go out there and make a difference for Christ. We have to step into the corridors of power. In education, in academia, in the family system, in the sciences, in business, in the media, in culture, and in government. We have to get there. The problem of Africa, particularly... Is because folly is setting dignity. And the wise have been reduced to nothing. People who have no business telling anybody anything shoot their mouths every day. And people who have something to say are shut up every day. And the rest look on. So... Can we do something about this? Well, I'm going to end with Jotham's parable in Judges chapter 9, verses 7 to 15. Jotham's parable. Jotham was a son of Gideon. Now, if you know your Old Testament well, Gideon was a judge or a deliverer of Israel. He delivered the Israelites from the Midianites. And Gideon was a very powerful deliverer. Reigned for many years. But in the process of reigning, he also fathered many children. So by the time Gideon died, he had over 70 sons. Now that's hard work. But, you know, he had 70 sons. And so there was a problem about who should succeed him. One of his sons who, who was produced through uh, a female servant went to his mother's side, the tribesmen of his mother's side, the people of Shechem, and told them, listen, look at what is happening in our nation. Our father is dead. Gideon is dead. We are in trouble. And there is no leader. And there are 70 of us. So we have to resolve the issue. So he tells his mother's side people, you have to help me because we are blood. It's always that. We are blood. Blood is thicker than water. So... What are we supposed to do, Jotham? Jotham says, well, you people of Shechem, you are from my mother's side. We have to bring the throne 
to this family. So we have to work together and kill my brothers. So they gave him money. And this son called uh, Abimelech. Uh, the son Abimelech. Uh, he, he goes out and, and he says, give me the money. Did I say it was Jotham? No. Abimelech is the one who is produced from the slave or the maidservant and so on. So Abimelech goes to the people of Shechem and collects money. And the Bible says he paid worthless fellows. There are always people like that. The Bible calls them sons of Belial. Worthless fellows. You pay them, they'll do anything. So he pays these worthless fellows and, uh, and they go out at the time when the sons of Gideon are having a party and they kill all of them. They slaughter all of them. Seventy sons. Only one of them escapes, Jotham. So Abimelech is made king or ruler. Not king, but ruler. But Jotham escapes. And Jotham is so aggravated about what has happened because the wrong person has become a leader. So he goes to Mount Gerizim and there he speaks a parable. And I want you to listen to what Jotham said because it's instructive for all of us. In Judges chapter 9, verse 7 to 15. He says, now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried out. He said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil, which with which they honor God and men, and go and sway over trees. Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I seize my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I seize my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So in this parable, what Jotham is saying is the reason Abimelech is leader is because more noble people have refused to be leaders. So Abimelech is now the leader. Now let's take a look at the, how the story goes. The first is the olive tree. They go to the olive tree. The olive tree represents those who are spiritual. The spiritual, the anointed. The olive tree says, I'm focusing on God. The olive tree represents the spiritual people, those who are so spiritual, they have no idea what's going on in their world. They do not have anything to do with the big problems of the world. All they're doing is praying and praying and worshiping and going to church and serving God and just being happy in the house of God. And that's all. That's the olive tree. And there are very many olive trees here. 
Somebody said amen to that. <laughs> and some of you have even said amen again. That's not good. The olive tree says, I'm just about God. I'm just about the anointing. I just want to flow in the spirit. I just want to speak in the spirit. I just want to worship the Lord. I, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. I don't want to go and deal with the affairs of life. So leave me alone. Let me worship God. The spirit of God is upon me. I'm anointed. Olive trees, spiritual people. Lots of them in the church. The fig tree represents the professional person. The professional says, I'm focusing on my work. The fig tree says, why should I seize my good fruit, my good work, and my sweetness? The fig tree represents professional or entrepreneurial people. Their whole life is just based on doing their work, doing their business. They have no interest in whatever else is happening. So they're just working hard, working hard. He's a teacher, he's teaching hard. He's a nurse, working hard. Doctor, working hard. Businessman, working hard. Professional, working hard. Accounting and analyzing and doing all the things they do. And somebody's messing their whole lives up. But they say, well, I just, I just want to be productive. That's what the fig tree says. So the spiritual person doesn't want to go. The professional doesn't want to go. The tree says, okay, let's go to... The vine tree, the vine tree represents the carefree person. He says, I make everybody happy. I cheer God. I cheer man. I, I'm, just, I'm just happy. I just want to be happy in life. I don't want to be bothered with all the troubles of this world. Let's, let's just have a good time, brother. The vine tree represents a lot of people who are carefree. They're just happy. A lot of Africans are vine trees, carefree. Just want to be happy. We're always drumming and doesn't Somebody dies. Somebody is born. Somebody marries. Business fails. Business is sick. Every time we're dancing, just let's just be happy. The whole life is about dancing and dancing and drumming and happiness and making jokes. Can you imagine the only thing Ghanaians appreciate now? Television, comedy. On stage, comedy. We just want, even all our advertisements are full of comedians because let's be happy. Poor and happy, underdeveloped and happy, 3% and happy. One of the problems of the African continent is because we are too happy. We are too happy, we are too happy, we, we, are, we, we, we laugh too much. Everything is a joke. Have you seen even in our own nation? Everything is a joke. Even political argument is a joke. I mean, you can have two politicians argue in the studio over something, and afterwards, they all have ha, 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 and do high five. I said, were you joking with us? Were you joking? The matters of life and death is turned 
into a joke. That's the vine tree. So the tree says, well, the anointed people are not ready. The professionals are not ready. The happy people are not ready. Let's go to the bramble. The bramble is a worthless tree in the culture of Israel. It's worthless. Because the bramble is not even a tree. It's a shrub. It doesn't even qualify among trees. It doesn't have the stature of a tree. It has leaves, but it's a shrub. It is short and shrubby. It doesn't have much. And so it doesn't have any space under it for anybody to come and sit under. So, so the bramble, the moment they invite him, says, come and, and sit under my shade. But if you know where Israel was, you can't sit under the bramble. Come and sit under me. And not only is the bramble a shrub, the bramble is full of thorns. So you sit under it, you get choked. There's no rest for you when you are under the bramble. Your whole life is trouble. When you are under a bramble, you can't sit, you can't sleep. You can't eat, you can't lie down. You can't do anything. And then he says, if you really want me to lead you, oh yeah, I'm ready. If nobody will take it, I am ready. And if you don't submit to me, I will burn you. The fire from the bramble will come and burn the cedar of Lebanon. The cedar of Lebanon is the most expensive tree. In the hierarchy of trees at that time. The cedar of Lebanon is the highest. And the Trump bramble says, if you don't submit to me, I will burn the best in the land. I'll destroy the best in the land. So what happens when the oil, the olive tree doesn't work, the fig tree doesn't work, the vine doesn't move, it's going to be left with bramble. Bramble, bramble, bramble. And the world is full of bramble leadership. Brambles in power. Bramble controlling your destiny. Because the olive doesn't want to move. And the fig doesn't want to move. And the vine doesn't want to move. And the bramble is the only one who decides, I'm going to do it. You go to most places of power, where there is unions in the office, where there is uh, organizations, associations, wherever. Sometimes even in the ministry. Olive will not go. Fig will not go. Vine will not go. So you can have bramble preachers. You can have bramble government officials. You can have bramble policy makers. You can have bramble controlling the content of television and what shows on television. Where at six o'clock in the evening, seven o'clock in the evening, when children are worshiping, are watching, they're showing profanity right there. There's no advice. 
Because Bramble are controlling the content. Bramble are controlling media. Bramble are controlling government. Bramble are controlling education. And Bramble controls education, you're going to fail. <laughs> Bramble controlling family. Bramble controlling business. Because the best in the land do not want to enter into the corridors of power. The best in the land allow the wrong people to hold the pillars and move them and shake them and put their own wrong pillars in place. So the question to you today, to be or not to be, that is the question. God bless you. Thank you for listening to ICGC Worldwide Podcast. For more information or content about our church, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ICGC Worldwide.